Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to or welcome back to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where if you haven't been paying attention all week, you don't need to worry about it. And I won't lie, I am kind of that person this week. So it's been great producing this podcast and forcing myself to catch up with what's been going on this week. Um, it was a busy one on my front. We were at Beyond the Pale and Body and Soul over the weekend doing some live gigs. Um, gigs, yeah, that's right. I say gigs now. Um, I was texting a pal of mine last week who's a musician and she was also playing at one of the festivals over the weekend and she was like when's your set I was like my set I don't think we can call it a set yet but anyway my thing my whatever you want to call it my chats um were happening in two geographical locations over the weekend which meant I was camping and sleeping in two different places um and it was a lot it was loads of fun lots of fun on myself and Ephel chat a little bit about that later but it was it was a lot and when I came home I was basically dead um so you can still hear in my voice that I'm not a hundred percent then I came home and got sick and it's been a whole thing but anyway it doesn't matter I'm not going to bore you with the details it was really good fun over the weekend and um I am here with you as always um with your weekly catch up and um it's a really good one this week um but then I would say that wouldn't I a little reminder there will be a new patreon episode next week I bring you a patreon episode every second week if you want to join patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSharry you will get access to all the previous episodes as well if you sign up it's a five or a month um and I really appreciate it it helps me keep going with this podcast um and it helps me come up with new ideas and stuff um and uh, it just generally helps me to exist and live um little thing to flag before we get into news this week that uh, the absolutely ginormous story about Orti and Ryan Tuberty broke after everything was recorded this week so that's why we're not talking about it just in case sometimes people like to read into the presence or not or also the lack of presence of stories about Orti in the podcast is some sort of message about how I feel about the organization and it's never that and um, it just literally happened after we had already already recorded I would imagine we'll probably cover it and the fallout next week depending on how things go over the next few days but um yeah don't be reading into it for now we'll just stick to the classic news and my god there was a lot of it this week um from the submarine to the absolute tragedy of migrants dying in yet another capsized boat um, to 
good news. Yes, that's right. A couple of good news stories this week. Lots to discuss with Aoife Moore. Aoife Moore, thank you for once again welcoming me into your home. It is so kind of you. You are so generous. My voice still hasn't recovered from the weekend. Yeah, we're fucked, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Don't try and do two festivals in the one weekend. Yeah. It's the key I have taken away from this weekend. The thing is, on Sunday when we arrived at Body and Soul, and like I was like, I'm amazing. I am 40. I'm yeah. doing two festivals in one weekend. I feel grand. And then I had to exist for the rest of the week. <laughs> and that's where the challenge came in. Monday was a struggle when we drove back from body and soul and i parked up at my house i jane yinley was like this might be it for me yeah <laughs> like i might just stop existing because i'm yeah. so tired yeah yeah full stop um but look didn't we do well didn't we just didn't we do well what a bunch of gals thank you to everyone who came up to us yeah we had a great time and we cannot forget we would like to give a special shout out to the man who messaged me on hinge <laughs> Yes. To fine. tell me he listens to the podcast. Declan? Declan from Hinge. Declan. It was a real shock to us, we were, to be honest. It's I, the last place we would expect it. I was shook. Yeah. I enjoyed that you shooted your shot and took an interest. Thank you very much, Declan. Thank you, Declan. Um, yeah, we met loads of lovely people at Beyond the Pale and Body and Soul over the weekend. And uh, you were all fantastic. And uh, the thing is, like, when I'm with other friends, they're always like, what's that? What, what's it like when people come and say hi to you? I'm like, it's always good because always literally nice. everyone is so sound. So sound. So sound. So yeah. congratulations. You all look like you were having 10 out of 10 weekends. I look forward to seeing you at the next one. Um, okay, let's get stuck in because we've actually got loads to talk about this week and really good stuff. Like, for example, Andrew Tate being charged with rape and human trafficking. We're starting with the good news. Obviously, this... the rape and human trafficking yeah, bit right. is terrible. Yes. But him getting charged, good. Andrew Tate. People call him a social media personality. I'm going to call her call him um, an alleged rapist. rapist. Andrew Tate has been arrested along with his brother and appeared at court in Romania where he's been charged with rape, human trafficking and forming a criminal gang to exploit women. Tate, who is originally from England, along with his brother Tristan, were charged in Bucharest um, this week and this has been an ongoing thing now since March 2022. So... Seven female victims say they were misled and transported to Romania where they were sexually exploited and subject to physical violence by the gang. Um, Tate is 36 and he has lived in Romania since 2017. He once said that he had moved to Romania because basically he thought he could get away with the kind of vile things that he does in Romania. He says that there is no evidence against him and there is a political conspiracy mm. to silence him. He uh, There's actually supposed to be a ruling tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, Friday morning, on whether he can remain under house arrest or he will have to go back to prison or he will be let out on bail. Mm. So for those not informed, Andrew Tate has over 6 million followers on Twitter. He has made his name for being a misogynistic former kickboxer who tells men how women should be treated and that is violently he has made references about rape and domestic violence. Um, we have talked about the concern that we have about young school children, boys 
listening to Andrew Tate. Yeah, because he would argue that no, he's teaching young men how to fulfill their potential. How to be men. Yeah, how to be um, men. In so what he did was he created this like grifter college where men did online classes about Hustle how, University. Hustle, Hustlers University, not Rustlers. The burgers. The burgers. No, we Hustlers. made that mistake before. Um and they would pay pay to do these pickup classes. Um and he basically has just grafted a load of money. Um, the woman where they were you it was called the lover boy technique. So yeah. the Romanian um, prosecutor statement is online. You can read it. It is very harrowing. He used something called the lover boy technique, um, which I thought was funny that even in the Romanian prosecutor statement, they used that term. Mm. Basically, he romanced these girls. He told them, you know, that there was a future for them and they would be boyfriend and girlfriend. Or these are the allegations anyway. Yeah, and they would be married and all of this. And then he transported them to Romania where they alleged they were raped, they were beaten, they were not allowed to leave, they were imprisoned and forced to take part in um, alleged porn videos. And the chickens have come home to roost. I think it's really upsetting to think of women thinking that they've fallen in love and then finding that, no, they're actually going to be held. And like, you know, they used all the all the classic things you read about when you read about human trafficking and basically, you know, passports being withheld, Mm -hmm. uh, women being told they're in debt. Yeah, uh, yeah, he told them that he owed that they owed him money. Yeah. Intimidation, constant surveillance, like all the things that you read about human trafficking, it's mm-hmm. all there in these allegations. Um, and and I would also just like to say as someone, this is like my my real pet peeve, but Taken has a lot to answer for when it comes to what people perceive as human trafficking. Most people who are human trafficked willingly mm. go or even pay to go, which we will talk about later. It is not someone, very rarely someone who has been kidnapped <laughs> At an airport and sold into slavery. Mm. Like these women voluntarily went to Romania. Because they were manipulated. But they were manipulated and brought there under false pretenses. It's horrendous. And what's horrendous is there are still people out there like defending him. Mm -hmm. And there have been people he's been posting throughout because he was banned from Twitter. But when Elon Musk came back, he obviously was allowed to come back on. Thanks for that. And he... I mean, honestly, like I really am having to question my own membership of Twitter at this point um, because of the shit that Elon's doing. Like he said that the words cis and cisgender were slurs this yeah, week. Like right, yeah. I, I don't know how I can continue to defend myself being there. It's something to consider. It's maybe something we should it all consider. It has made my life infinitely better from not being not on being it. Not being on I don't go off. on it very often, but I am still there and I'm still in the numbers and it does make me think... It's probably not a great idea anymore if Elon Musk is at the head of it. But anyway, um, you know, there he's been tweeting. Andrew Tate has been tweeting away because he's on house arrest. So mm-hmm. like there's nothing to stop him from His doing that. His videos are so funny. He, you, there is, you would nearly think it's performance art. It's insane. He does videos of him like kickboxing practice. Yeah. And he's like fighting the air. Yeah. It's See, Amazing. I can't even, I honestly can't even find it funny though, because I've gone beyond that because I'm like, there are young men who still are here worshiping this guy still, even when he has these allegations mm-hmm. against him, like, you know, he's still continuing to like put toxic messaging 
into the world and and these people are are buying into it so like you know this hasn't stopped him from being a toxic force and that's what's really upsetting like you would think Mm -hmm. but I mean you would think that Donald Trump being accused of sexual assault would have an impact on you know his following but it hasn't Mm -hmm. you would think that Andrew Tate being accused of these things you know and 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 legally like you know prosecuted for these things would have an impact on his following but it doesn't and because that's what's really want upsetting to believe that there is some sort of conspiracy against donald trump and some kind of conspiracy against andrew tate because they are telling these men these angry young men what they want to hear and they want what they want to hear is nothing is your fault mm. it's the world that's wrong and women and women well, obviously, we will continue to uh, bring you updates on this. I will be watching uh, with great, uh, great detail because um, I, I really want to see the downfall of this man and men like him. Okay, let's move on. This submarine um, is one of the biggest stories of the week. And it is genuinely shocking. Like, every time I learn something else about this, I am more shocked. I didn't even know this existed. I did not know you could go see the Titanic. Neither did I. I thought it was a thing that James Cameron did in the film and they made it up. Yeah. It's real. So I have done a lot of research. I'm ready to go. There's a really good podcast on the New York Times about it this morning where they have an expert in deep sea diving who actually knows one of the people who's trapped on the submarine. So this submarine is the first of its kind. Now, there are a number of different companies who do this trip where you can go down and look at the wreckage of the Titanic between Liverpool and famously New York where it was supposed to go and then capsized. So this crowd are new and they have the words they used were innovative new technologies. Experts had been warning for a long time that being innovative with this type of thing really isn't the way to go because this is so dangerous Mm. and they said that it was not, there's a certain certification that you have to get, not to do it, but you should get it. It's not mm. compulsory, but it should be. They never got this. Mm. It is incredibly expensive. I believe one of the tickets to do this was over 250,000 euro to do it. And there are now, the people on board are a British billionaire called Hamish Harding, who's 58, who now he's, his stepson is famously using all of this for internet clout, but we'll get that in a minute. A businessman back from Pakistan um, called Shahzada Dawood and his 19-year-old son, Suleiman. They're both British citizens. And then the French explorer, P.H. Nargole, who is 77, and Stockton Rush, who is the founder and CEO of Ocean Gate Expeditions, who own the submarine. So they were saying, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and the expert said, if this was to happen to you, if you, wanted to be stu- if you were to be stuck in the submarine, the person that you would want on your submarine is P.H. Nargole. He has done this millions of times. Okay. This is what his whole jam is, right? Okay. They don't know exactly how much oxygen they have on the submarine. And experts are only warning, don't be guessing. There's going to be no time where they can say, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. Because what PH has probably told them to do is reduce your metabolic rate, lie down, don't breathe, <laughs> and try and conserve oxygen. So it became clear... When they did not arrive um, at Newfoundland in Canada, that they had gone missing. They were overdue on Sunday evening. So this started uh, from last Friday. Um, and now they were not, they have not appeared. Yeah. So the French Coast Guard, the American Coast Guard, like, there are dozens of countries that are now involved in this, offering technology, offering divers. Yeah. 
uh, sonic buoys are down there listening. So what the sonic buoys found is that they thought they could hear banging. Yeah. As if like people were stuck and they were trying to get their attention. What they think could have happened, there's two things that could have happened. The pressure could have got so much because they are 3,800 feet under the ground, kilometers under the ground. Literally the, the thought of it makes me like physically yeah, so have it a says response. Here, to find an object of this size in 3,800 meter water depth, it could take potentially weeks of intense survey. It very much depends on how tightly the area that has to be searched is defined. They reckon what could have happened is because the Titanic, first of all, is so big and so old and has been under the water for such a long time, a bit of steel or something could have fallen on top of the submarine and gotten it stuck. Yeah. And they just need somebody to come down and move the bit of steel or whatever it is that's trapping them out of the way. The other thing that might have happened is because of the new technology in this uh, Ocean Gate they reckon maybe it could have imploded. Mm. So basically all fallen in on itself mm. because of the pressure. Mm. Um, it's a really desperate situation. And when anyone that has been talking about, any expert talking talking about today have said, we don't want to lose hope, but things are rapidly looking worse bad, every yeah. hour. Now bear in mind, people are going to be listening to this on Friday morning. So it is very possible that this story is going to be over by yeah. tomorrow morning. This podcast comes out. But you know they didn't. They said the same about Apollo, and yeah. that all worked out well. So, do you know what I read that was wild? There's no windows in well, the submarine. No, of course not, because no. of the pressure. So what the fuck are you going down to look at the Titanic for? <laughs> why can't you just like tiny, tiny, tiny little hole? Why can't you just like be in a simulator and like yeah. you know? It, I I don't understand. It's not like you're going down there to like look out the window as you travel through the Titanic. Also, yeah, and like. Cameras, you could send cameras down there to take video. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's just, it's incredibly sad. Um, It's obviously a huge panic. They reckon that obviously there will be a ripple effect now where people will stop going on these types of trips, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world, to be honest. These people would have been highly briefed about how dangerous this was. Yeah. But people have, people do this a lot. I know someone who knows someone who has done this interesting that there's no women on yes um yeah so they have cautioned against saying you know when the breathable air will run out but it is most likely that that is going to be the tragedy of all this is that they are going to run out of oxygen well obviously and, you know the hope is that these people will be rescued that goes without saying mm-hmm. but so there's got they've got ro- remote control Robots basically down there yeah. looking at the minute yeah. because you can't like scuba dive down there. No, it's too, it's too far. Yeah. So look, as Eva says, this may have been concluded by the time you listen to this tomorrow, but that's the background. That's the situation. That's what's been going on. And I have to say, I have found it hard to hear about the mm-hmm. efforts that are being made to save these people and look at all of the attention that this story has gotten in the context of the alternative situation which is migrant ships sinking Mm -hmm. and the loss of life that's happening there yes so this is just one story in many that we've heard over the last couple of years but nine men have been arrested um on allegations of migrant smuggling um when a ship sank off the coast of greece and more than 500 people are now missing i do not believe that the same amount of effort that has gone into looking for the submarine has gone into looking for the bodies of these people um, who left Libya and they were traveling to Italy. Um, the men who are Egyptian face charges 
uh, on criminal organization, manslaughter, and causing a shipwreck. And they only 104 men and yes, Egyptians, Pakistanis, Syrians, and Palestinians survived one of the worst migrant shipwrecks that we have seen. Um, it was on the 14th of June, and only 82 bodies have been recovered. Uh, women and children were said to have been trapped in the hold. As so, the hold is the the Leonardo DiCaprio part of the boat uh, in Titanic. Mm. Um, uh, the bottom of it. Jesus, that was a terrible description. <laughs> in the hold, as the boat capsized and it sank within minutes into one of the deepest spots in the Mediterranean, and these people paid thousands and thousands of euro to be taken on to this really old battered fishing boat. And they were headed for Europe, obviously, for a better life. Now, the witness statements, the survivor statements are harrowing. Mm. They said that they could feel the boat tipping over. And they were telling the men on top, the human traffickers, or alleged human traffickers, on top that they were afraid they were going to tip over. Um, the people in charge said that they were were beaten the men back into the hold when they were trying to come back up for air and trying to get onto the top of boat so they wouldn't drown. They reckon that most of the people who joined were Pakistani because they were kept in the hold and um, only 11 Pakistanis were saved, but there was more than 400 Pakistanis on the boat. They said that they did not get food, they did not get water, they were beaten when they tried to stand up in the hold and that... By the end of the sinking, people were just praying. Just like a lot of them were Muslim people. They were praying. Um, they could feel the boat tipping and then filling up with water. Um, some of them obviously did manage to escape. But this is a huge loss of life. Um, and although these human traffickers, alleged human traffickers, have been arrested... This is not going to be the last one of these that we see. No. Ursula von der Leyen, who's the president of the EU, the EU, of the EU Commission, said that she believed that the EU has to do more to help African countries like Tunisia, where many migrants leave for Europe, to stabilize their economies, as well as uh, finalize a long-awaited reform of asylum rules. She did not mention Libya, where this troller actually left from. Mm. Um, and this is not just a Libya problem. It happens every day. The Greek authorities have come under huge criticism because they are very clearly not doing enough to help people lost at sea. We understand that Greece is under severe pressure compared to other European countries because it's always Greece that gets left yeah. with dealing with these people because many of them sink off the coast of Greece. In this case, the Greek authorities said that when they got to the boat, the, the people on the boat said to them, don't save us, we're going to Italy, we don't want to go to Greece. The, some survivors on the boat have completely denied that and said that's not what happened. Mm. The only kind of bright side of this is the survivors were able to point out the traffickers. Yeah. And that's why the, trafficker, the traffickers were pretending to be migrants who had survived. Yeah. And it was... The other witnesses, the people who were there, were able to say, he is not a migrant, he is a human trafficker. So they were in court this week. It was World Refugee Day this week on Tuesday, and um, the uh, UNHCR um, 
reminded people that a record 110 million people have been forcibly displaced from their homes. And that's, you know, this is the thing, is that you have to remember that these people are not usually economic migrants. They're usually people who are absolutely desperate. They've been displaced from places like Afghanistan, Sudan, Ukraine. Um, You know, the Ukrainians don't normally end up on boats, but but that contributes to that 110 million number. Mm -hmm. Like, it is enormous. And you're talking about desperate people. And the reasons that people end up fleeing is not just because of conflict it's also because of things like climate Climate. change which is we're going to talk about on the podcast today later on um you know persecution over things like sexuality religion like there are so many things contributing to this it's not a simple problem and it is a complex thing to deal with but when you read about the story of these people desperate desperate for a safe and stable home crying out for help and dying and, and, you know, the, the countries are having arguments between themselves about who's going to take them and who's going to mm-hmm. manage them. And then you read about the billionaires who are being desperately searched for. Not that their lives aren't valuable. Of course they are. But everyone is created equal. It is extremely hard to stomach, I think, having those mm-hmm. two stories side by side this week. And I hope it makes a lot of people realize that, you know, all lives are equally valuable. And um, unfortunately, it doesn't feel like it's being dealt with that way currently. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. This is another good news story. The government is to legislate to disregard historic homophobic convictions in Ireland. This is great. Good things are happening. It's Pride Month. This is brilliant. So the government under the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, will legislate to disregard historic convictions for consensual sexual activity between men. This has been, obviously, Fine Gael are in charge of justice, but there has been a lot of work also carried out by Senator Finn Waterfield from Sinn Féin, who has been banging this drum for a very long time, mm-hmm. along with people like Independent David Norris there's been the Green Party. So this has, has been something that's been on people's minds for a very long time. But uh, Finn Waterfield's legislation came a couple of weeks ago, and I think that was kind of the catalyst then that they were going to do this. So it was announced this week, and hundreds of gay men in Ireland were charged uh, under the legislation. Homosexuality in Ireland was only decriminalised on the 24th of June 1993, which is Saturday, which is also Dublin Pride. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, so people were... uh, So the research carried out by the historian Dermot Ferreter found that between 1940 and 1978, an average of 13 men a year were jailed for homosexual offences. And between 62 and 72, there were 455 convictions. But as we know, women are never gay. Mm -hmm. And they were never convicted. (laughs) Women are never gay, Lesbians don't exist. Nope. Um, So uh, the 2018 government, which was also Fine Gael, announced plans for a scheme to disregard the criminal records for offences when the sexual acts involved would now be lawful. And this has been going on since then. There was a public consultation about it. And this week, Tishik Leo Vreger and Justice Minister Hal McEntee said they've re- released the final, they've received the final report with 95 recommendations. And now these criminal records will be disregarded. And she is going to publish the report of the working group for people to read as well. So I think that would be really interesting yeah. because it'll be about the experiences of these men, a lot of whom are still alive. Good news all around. Um, about their experiences. Um, and and final thing, Roger Gorman also confirmed that conversion therapy practice will, practices will carry a criminal offence under new legislation that the government are going to bring in as well. At last. 
Okay, great news. Good pride. Um, and now just very quickly before we go, um, just I know that lots of you people who listen stories. to this, this is relevant to. Well, I have spent literally tens of thousands of euro mm-hmm. on childcare over the last six years and um, it is crippling for so many people and it is the reason that lots of women are forced to leave careers that they mm-hmm. love, that they find fulfilling. So yes, I do love this because yes. Leah Varadkar has promised further cuts in childcare costs. Yes, so this has been a big uh, priority for this government um, under the minister, Roger Gorman and the Taoiseach who has actually I have to say been very good on this Mm. Um, Fianna Gael are very keen to reduce childcare costs so this week Leo Vreger said there will be a further reduction of the childcare costs for families next year you can be sure of that so last year there was a 25% reduction and it cost the government 121 million and saved families some families up to 175 euro a month yeah that 25 percent. i know some of you will be going i didn't yeah. i didnn't save 25 it all kind of depends on how yeah. much you're paying exactly um, but roger Gorman has set himself a target uh, or the government a target of having a 50 percent average reduction in the cost of child care over budget 2023 and this year's budget in 2024 now i will say i have only one more year of paying proper full-time childcare um but i will continue to talk about this forever until it's yes. sorted because it is just it's, disgusting ireland has the highest childcare cross in europe it's and insane. it keeps women out of the workplace yeah. and it forces people into you know jobs and hours that are not conducive to a good lifestyle or good parenting or yeah. good childhoods and guess what if you're miserable you can't be a good parent and if you if your work is fulfilling and it's important to you and then you're forced to give it up you're not going to be parenting at your best. So it's, you know, it's not as simple. You can be a good parent, but you're, yeah, you shouldn't have to sacrifice. You can't be your your best parent. Like the point that I'm making, obviously there are lots of people who are happy, you know, who choose to work in the home as opposed to outside of the home and are perfectly happy doing this and more power to you. There are some people, and I would be one of them, who would not be happy in that situation. And, you know, unfortunately, there are lots of people who are forced to make that choice because their work is seen as less important or less profitable than their partners. And therefore, they end up not being able to do it. And then it can be really difficult to get back into the workplace. Or when you do get back into the workplace, you can't raise up at the same level as your colleagues. And all of that has Mm -hmm. an impact on self-esteem and your place in the world. And it's, you know, we need to, it's just something that is being dealt with so much better in other countries. And we need to make ourselves fall in line with those countries and it's great to see work actually being done and you know sometimes people say to me like that they like the way we talk about news on this podcast because it's not biased and I'm always like are you joking me it's totally biased but I think what they mean is that we are not pro-government or anti-government or pro any particular political party and you know I think for the most part that is true and it's good to acknowledge when the government is doing something right yes this is something that needs to happen more quickly in my opinion but they are doing the work there and thank god for that we look forward to all your messages this week calling us blue shirts (laughs) (laughs) our people don't do that but yes of course (laughs) as always the phone line is open as you know I am I respond texting in yeah, people, you're not listening to the Patreon, obviously, Eva. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I respond to your voice notes every month on a, a Patreon episode. I'd actually like to do that more frequently, uh, and that potentially will happen. The number is 089-209-6423. 089-209-6423. What did you say? Have you had any mean ones? Um, not mean, but but people Critical. sometimes criticize. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's absolutely fine. I've no, I, I welcome that. Um, I, as I repeatedly say, um, you know, 
we're not experts on everything by no, no stretch of the imagination. And often you will be more expert on something we're talking about than we are. Mm. And that's why it's great to hear from you in that situation. We had a couple of those in the last episode. Um, and uh, I always appreciate a correction because we can't get it right all the time. We absolutely won't. Um, and when you know better, I love to hear it. What's our male to female ratio for the texts and the calls and stuff? Um, oh, it's like almost entirely female. Go on the girls. Yeah. Yeah, love you guys. Love to hear from you. Um, and the Patreon episodes are, I mean, though that particular one is always better for your contributions. So please don't be shy. 089-209-6423. I mean, it is like, it's a few hundred people, but it's not like the thousands who listen to this episode. Mm. It feels weird saying that, but it's true. Oh. Um, so don't be shy. Um, it's a nice group. And as we always say, everyone here is sound. Okay, we've talked for 27 minutes again, Aoife. We did it again. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. Pre-order Aoife's book, The Long Game. It is out in September. There's a great buzz about it, let me tell you. She's going mm-hmm. to the Edinburgh Book Festival. It's all go. Sure, we'll be lucky to get her in September, to be honest. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be full of notions. Far too good for us. Yeah. One of the Patreon episodes, I could just read it out. <laughs> Mm. I'll not do an audiobook. We'll just do a really long episode. Yeah, we can talk about that. I'll do an, ep- I'll do an impression of Jerry Adams, though. Oh, st- stunning. <laughs> Look forward to that. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Following on from our continued chat about climate change and covering climate change on the podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to get someone in this week who actually knows what they're talking about. Cara Carney is the host of the Book of Leaves podcast, one of the podcasts related to climate change and the environment that I recommended last week. Book of Leaves focuses on chats with individuals who are doing their bit to make ecological changes in their lives and their businesses. Sometimes their businesses are set up entirely in order to make it easier for people to make ecological changes in their own lives. And I think Cara does a really amazing job of breaking down small changes we can make to improve our interactions with the planet. Um, So I just thought she was the perfect person to speak to in an accessible way about all this stuff, uh, about whether small changes matter and whether it actually matters if we make those changes in our lives and what we can all do to feel more empowered and make an actual difference. I hope you enjoy. I absolutely loved this chat. So Cara, first of all, I apologize for getting your name wrong last week on the podcast. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Yeah, my parents are so awkward putting an E in there for, and it absolutely looks like Kira. I've been called Kira by teachers and cousins and family members since the dawn of my time. So no bother at all. Do you think sometimes parents are like, I just want my child to have a challenge? Um. I, I have no idea. They're like, as, as life, just like life isn't hard enough as it is. They're like, Do you know what? That's yeah. That's yeah. And Irish names in particular, like I feel sorry for anyone called Sive or yeah. Neve. Do you know, they the, have a hard time of it when yeah. they leave Ireland. But yeah. and beautiful this, this names, is... but like definitely uh, an international challenge. Yeah. Um, so Cara, I met you at the Podcast Awards last year because your podcast, Book of Leaves, won in the environment, was it in the environment category? I can't Climate even remember. Award, I Climate Award, called, yeah. 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 Um, and it was great to chat to you because as has come up repeatedly on this podcast and as I I mentioned the last couple of episodes climate is something that obviously we cover in the news section of the podcast but I don't feel particularly empowered when it comes to talking about it because it's not that I'm not an expert I talk about loads of things I'm not an expert on but like Mm -hmm. I don't feel very scientifically literate or informed even that informed I'll be honest on on climate on aside from the very basic stuff um so you and I had a little chat in the DMs this week and I thought it would be good to bring you on to kind of have a chat first of all about your podcast and how to cut through that feeling of powerlessness or almost like a lack of authority when it comes to talking about climate because I think that's something actually that loads of people feel 
I would say the majority of people feel that like it's so true. Um, I even have that. I feel like I'm not an expert at all. Um, like for full disclosure, I trained in the arts. I work in the arts. Mm. Um, during COVID, I went and I did like a little level five certificate in environmental studies for six weeks part time, just while everyone was making banana bread and didn't know mm. what to do with their lives. So like that's my qualification. But that you, you could learn what I learned there in Instagram posts. You know, yeah. it's just something that I care about, and it's one of the things that affects everybody. Body, but that feeling that you were talking about of not feeling qualified enough to to speak about it like so mm. many people feel that and it kind of the more I, I've been in the activism circle or environmental circle the past couple of years only since 2019 mind before mm. that I was doing my own thing thinking the experts were fixing it yeah but it was wasn't until I watched Cowspiracy in 2016 that I realized this climate crisis that I knew of wasn't actually being fixed by the people in power. So yeah. the experts are shouting about it, but the people in power aren't doing anything about it. And the only thing that has ever affected any kind of meaningful change in society from repeal to the right to vote to abolishing slavery has been normal people, not experts, coming at it from like an emotional level with yeah. their personal stories. Like it was personal stories that it got repeal across the line. Mm. And it's personal stories that will get climate action to where it needs to be, I think. So up to that point, did you have an interest in the environment or in climate or like, how did you get to the point where you were like, I'm going to start a podcast? Yeah. So I wanted to start a podcast after listening to Blind Boys podcast Mm -hmm. and this Australian dude, I was listening about plant-based nutrition because I eat plant-based. So I didn't want to be like not eating the right things. And he chatted to this guy who made um, coconut bowls out of discarded coconut waste, which is now the big coconut bowl industry. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to platform people in Ireland that are doing something good for the planet? So that's Mm. why I started the podcast inspired by Blind Boys kind of he's just one guy sitting a mic he can do it so could I rewind way back to my childhood I grew up in the countryside in Wexford so I was like surrounded by um fields of cows um and I think something that was very helpful to me is my parents didn't lie to me about for example where the lamb we were eating for dinner came from I I put two and two together and they were very honest with me so I went veggie quite young because of the animals and I was very aware of like effects on animals in particularly mm. in particular. So I remember being in the car one time with my dad and we were we'd be driving through all these back roads and rabbits would always be crossing the road and you'd have to like drive very slow. And then one time where we always slow down, the ditches, the hedges that they lived in were ripped out to put in some spaces for car parks. And I was only five or six at the time. Mm. And I remember saying to my dad, where are the rabbits going to live? And he said, I never even thought about that. Yeah, where are the rabbits going to live? And that, like, that's a core memory I have now yeah. because I re- he didn't think about it. Yeah. So I guess the effect on animals was just something that I all, always sat with me and I always knew littering was bad. I remember fancying a guy from Cavan when I was 14 and like we went on like a road trip to a chipper and he threw the chipper bag out the out the window and oh, I no. straight away was like I don't fancy him no, no. more <laughs> you know? no, like, immediate so, ick red yeah, flag exactly. all that crap exactly yeah. so yeah. I think that that childhood relationship to like animals and kind of knowing climate change was was a thing mm. was there but then obviously I'm doing my own thing in secondary school my own thing in college I'm working in Dublin trying to pay rent enough mm. on my plate and then just watching Cowspiracy by chance I was like oh Jesus H Christ like 
is no one doing enough about it and then it wasn't until Greta Thunberg and Extinction Rebellion that I I saw like a pathway that me as not an expert yeah not a professional could like walk into the movement and go okay let's see how I can change things or help in any way shape or form yeah and so you know I think a lot of people are asking that exact question like what can I do and I think the narrative that we get is a little confusing because sometimes you're hearing about say I mean just to use straws as an example like obviously we've all moved away from (laughs) from plastic straws and then you read that like actually that's not making a difference and then some people are like yes obviously eating less meat is has a and less food waste we know that that has a huge impact but actually it doesn't have that much of an impact if the big corporations aren't taking responsibility for what they're doing and so I think you can kind of become confused and feel like there's no point in doing anything because because, you know, the problems are so huge that you can do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it pushes us to paralysis all the time. And if anyone listening is like struggling with that, on one hand, I would say to look into the work of like Joanna Macy and Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the monk, mm-hmm. who, d- who wrote a book called Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet. If you're struggling with those overwhelming feelings, I definitely suggest you go there for some literal peace of mind. But that thing that like you're talking about of individual versus individual action versus systemic change I think in my perspective there's like a symbiosis between the two you can't have you can't like systemic change won't happen without pressure from the individuals yeah individuals solely you know are much stronger when they make up communities when there's collaboration and groups coming together Mm. we absolutely like if there's people listening that work in policy and that's all they have time for they can't go to marches or beach cleanups or whatever Mm. we need that too but we also need like us lay people to be able to like come together be it on the street doing a beach clean doing a swap shop and like clothes swap or whatever Mm. it is because systems don't change the capitalism capitalist uh structure that we're in won't shift unless all of the consumers or people are like pushing it a certain way like we've seen the rise in vegan products Mm. we've seen um the greenwashing like that's all a sign of the power of individual action so yes while like one straw won't save the whole planet it is like your action doing that might inspire someone else to get active um and your ripple effect you can't quantify you literally don't know you could bring your keep cup into work and someone will see you and go jesus that's really cute i'm gonna get one of them yeah and you can't quantify that because they don't tell you you know Mm. and then i yeah i just think there was a parable i remember learning i went to like a old convent in wexford and um I actually heard this parable that is kind of my ethos for activism, mm. which is uh, like, I'm not religious at all. Spiritual, you might be able to see from like the dream catcher and stuff behind me, but <laughs> not religious. But this parable was where a man was walking his dog on a beach where thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish had washed up on the shore. And he sees this young person picking up these starfish that are still alive, but clearly going to be dehydrated and, and dying soon. And he pick, they're picking up a starfish and throwing them back into the sea. And the guy walking the dog goes up and says, what are you doing? Like, you're never going to make a difference here. And the person bends down, picks up a starfish and throws it into the sea and says, I made a difference to that one. Mm. And that ethos, then when I think if I've saved one straw, that one straw could have ended up somewhere it shouldn't have been. Mm. You know, if I, I think the two have to work simultaneously and those little actions are like little capsule batteries that charge me as well so if I know 
I've brought my cup to work and I've saved at least one cup. Yeah, I might have bought a coffee for three friends who didn't have their keep cups. But I focus on like the positive. You have yeah. to focus on the positive and let that charge you yeah. so that you can take on the big, really frustrating corporations that are, you know, it's not just climate like this. Yeah. It's a, oh, so many, so many issues, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I think that's really interesting that point that you made about the fact that like obviously there's there's huge conversation around greenwashing and um particularly in fast fashion, you know, we see lots of, you know, say pennies now have a vintage store within their store. And yeah. I, you know, I've seen people going, "Oh, what's that supposed to do like offset everything else?" But like it is something. Um yeah. or you see H&M and their conscious collection, like we know that lots of brands want to appear to be doing the right thing. And I hadn't thought about the fact that yes, of course, that is a response to pressure that's being put on by the consumer. So that is a sign of things going in the right direction even if it's not really what we need, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Um I, I, And I think that's a really important point because I I just hadn't considered that. And, you know, the contagiousness, I suppose, of of one person making a positive step. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people also get caught up in the kind of all or nothing and which I think, you know, your point is is very valuable that like none of us are going to be perfect in every decision that we make. Like that's not possible. But every good decision is worthwhile. So true. Yeah. Like, so true. Like, I remember having a friend tell me after I kind of got into protesting, because, as I said, I don't know about policy or anything, but I know I can feel in my heart when things are wrong. So I'll make a sign and show up and chant. And there's a lovely camaraderie that comes with that. And it's Mm. really charging. and You feel great after a protest. But my friend was like, here, look, I totally admire what you're doing, but I just don't feel welcome in that space. And I was like, why not? And he goes, because I don't wash my recycle now before I put it in the bin. I'll just put it in the black bin. <laughs> right. I was like, dude, that doesn't matter. Like that, whatever, like you could be, it do, like it just does not matter about perfectionism. Like, the, yeah, the saying goes around, like we need a thousand people doing this imperfectly. In, in and it's, it's so true. It's about like doing your best within your capability when your time like you know uh, I come from like a very low income family and my mom would love to be you know plant-based but she can't she she can't like it's just it's not convenient for her I don't expect that my sister is disabled she has to buy pre pre-cut um vegetables and like plastic packaging sometimes like it's a we have to have like a very intersectional approach to this and it's a very wide lens and that means that it doesn't matter if you are driving an SUV but you could do litter pickups at the weekend or you still have to go to pennies because you can't find clothes in your size in charity shops mm. um, but you want to show up on to a protest or sign petitions it doesn't like the I think that if people believe in their hearts that they don't think they can talk about the climate crisis even from an emotional level as opposed to an educational one with their friends their peers mm. advocate for it like that I think could be the death of us because yeah. we're, we all have we all are on the planet we all enjoy the sunsets the sea swims and um, the bird song you know we're getting so much better when it comes to wildflowers and meadows everywhere mm-hmm. now that would have been just sprayed like all of these improvements are happening and we all have a part to play and you know people on the front lines who are you know in in the global south if if they were to hear that you know people here aren't being as active or talking about it as much as they want to because they feel they're not qualified to they're not qualified to kind of like 
heal from the natural disasters they're facing but they're just fit, jumping in and figuring out how to do it because they have no other choice yeah, no so choice. yeah whereas we we have a choice and I think we should you know find the things that you love whatever that is fashion yeah. see go beach uh be do cleanups and stuff like that with Sea Shepherd Ireland like there's something there's an avenue everyone can access I've learned that now mm. you know I didn't know that but mm. it's becoming more clear for everyone I think that yeah. there's different avenues for people yeah it's interesting that um kind of it's almost a totalitarian approach to things these days. And I think it comes from the internet, in my opinion, because there is an expectation now um, in a lot of ways that, that people be the finished product and that they tick all the boxes and that no one makes mistakes. And that if you say you care about the environment, you know, why are you X, Y, and Z? But the reality mm. is people will always X, Y, and Z because mm. it's not possible yet to live an environmentally perfect life. And, you know, as you say, there are lots of factors that might contribute to someone making a decision that isn't necessarily the environmentally best but is the one that they need to make and um, mm-hmm. I, I think these are just such valuable points that you're making I, I just want to express that and um, <laughs> so if someone's listening and they're going okay you're right like I could do more than I'm doing um, and I and I just because I can't do everything doesn't mean I can't do something what what are some small changes that people can make like let's say someone doesn't want to go vegan or can't go vegan you know does cutting back have an impact like what are what are the little things oh 100% like all these little things add up like thinking of the starfish on the beach like everything Mm. adds up so the little things that I love um absolutely eating eating plant-based foods is amazing I know a lot of people love the taste of meat like I didn't go veggie for the taste of it I went veggie because of the animals but like there are some unreal options out there like Denny's sausages they have like because they do the normal pork sausages mm. and then they have their own that they they have the same flavoring or whatever mm. it is and there's like a little skin effect on the sausage anyway I could eat like 12 <laughs> of those in one sitting like there are lovely alternatives that you could swap in without kind of missing it you know like even their bolognese their Denny's bolognese or whatever so there are swaps that you could do that make an impact yeah and just for people who are confused why does eating less meat have a positive impact on climate Sure. So the the main thing um is the land the land use basically. So to get a cow to the size at that they're needed to be slaughtered for meat, you need to feed the cow. And the cow we we do obviously supplement our cows here with grass, but mm. there isn't enough grass for just that. So mm. we import feed, we import soy. Mm. Um. So that's what the Amazon forests were being cleared for was to mm. grow soy. 80% of soy grown is for animal feed. Like right. land use in Ireland, seven, over 70% of land use in Ireland is for animal agriculture, which is wild. Whereas we need to give like half that to animals mm. or to, to wildlife, like mm. ideally. So, but obviously there needs to be a just transition where we take farmers with us. So mm. water usage is higher and antibiotics, like there's loads of reasons, but land right. use is one of the main. Okay, great. So cutting back on eating meat. Um, um, so yeah, cutting back on, on meat and like de- definitely helps. Even a meal would make a difference, right? Even one meal a week. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And and untraining that Irish psyche we have of like, it has to be a meat and two veg or yeah. dinner. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um. So what else? I mean, we know obviously uh, clothing is a huge contributing factor. Fast fashion is a massive problem. Um, if you still need to shop in you know, if you can't afford maybe to buy from shops that uh, are more environmentally friendly and maybe the, the secondhand shops don't have your size, you know, 
wearing things more often presumably that makes a difference oh 100% yeah wearing things more often and kind of unconditioning ourselves but what but with the you know not re-wearing outfits even Mm. like every day like three four days in a row there's no but why have we got a shame in that you know Mm. um and it's so funny that we celebrate celebrities for wearing a dress to the Oscars that they wore like once 10 years ago when they, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a funny kind of conditioning that we have. Um, whereas years ago, th- that was the norm. So we built it, we can unbuild it very mm. easily. So yeah, wearing clothes, making them, making them last and looking after them is really important. Swapping with your friends. There's a very cool app called New NUW where you can mm. lend your clothes out to strangers. Um, like taking hand-me-downs with pride and you know yeah I think that's like fashion is a huge thing there's also a great app I am obsessed with called Olio O-L-I-O that people can like give away anything on um so not just um clothes but like I had a bag of hangers that was just hanging around in my wardrobe like didn't need them who's going to need these no one's going to want them so I put them on Olio and someone came and collected them in like that evening so there's loads of like random little things that you can get rid of there that's a really good app um and also there's lots of food on that because food is a huge one so like really mm-hmm. being careful about food waste um and things like that is important and I love saving food from going to waste so if you're if you're you know if my housemates are throwing out food I'm the hoover that's coming in and going <laughs> I'll make up that you know and it's a bit more imaginative and fun mm. um but I would probably because there's to be honest Louise like there's too many things to mention in like yeah you know one segment in the podcast so like I direct people to like this is where social media is an absolute godsend yeah the likes of the use less project are amazing yeah um like the work that Taz does there um and okay literally for years that's been useless in my head and now you've said (laughs) use less and I'm like obviously obviously it's use less Oh my God, sorry, I'm just having an aha moment. But yes, they do great work. (laughs) I know, it wasn't until I interviewed them on my podcast that I was like, aha, (laughs) yes, okay, that makes sense. But they they know it's a double thing. But like following the likes of them is is really, really important. And if anyone, because I think one thing that happens as well is we feel very lonely and Mm. we think we're the only one in our family or our circle of friends maybe who thinks this way about Mm. climate. or you don't know like how to get involved there's an amazing like completely free program run by Antoshka called the climate ambassador program and every Mm. September October they open um submissions and a couple of hundred people get selected to be climate ambassadors for the year all you need to do is is care like a little that's it if you care like it you're you're basically selected and you're you're empowered Mm. with the facts of climate change the ability to to um talk to other people about it they mm. literally give you slides if you want to do presentations and work and then they help you organize events or there are events through them that you can attend be it forest bathing or cleanups or tree yeah. planting like there's loads of class groups yeah. like the Gaelic Woodland Project as well that are a group of normal people not experts that are trying to fundraise to buy land and mead to rewild wow. because the governments aren't doing enough and they're hosting like gigs in Dublin that people can go so there's loads of like fun avenues that isn't about sacrifice as well it's not about giving things up it's about all the things you gain 
from making these choices. That's cool. Yeah. Climateambassador.ie, by the way, is the website there. And they actually have a podcast too that you can listen to if you mm-hmm. want to learn more about what they do and what you can do. This has been so good. Like I feel, I just feel like you're doing such good work because people can feel so bogged down um, and disempowered. And to hear someone speak like positively about it <laughs> is so helpful with like tangible suggestions, but also yeah. it's just a general kind of, you know, giving people permission to take action in a small way and to say that that small way is valuable. You know, mm. you don't have to be doing everything all the time. No, and that's important as well because we have an inability right now to imagine the future. Black Mirror has just come out and I can't wait to watch it, but we also <laughs> need to imagine positive outcomes yeah. of the future. Yeah. And our, the part of our brain that does that, the the hippocampus, that the, mm. gives us the ability for memory and imagination shrinks when we're stressed. Yeah. So we also need to mind ourselves and take time off guilt-free I've been, I've had burnout. I've felt like you're getting me in a good month now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I've been there where I'm like, this is terrible. And I'm flipping tables over because the government isn't doing enough. And there's so yeah. many other issues from trans rights to the cobblestone being demolished that like pushed me over the edge. These little things. So yeah, yeah. I've been there, but it comes in ebbs and flows. You need to mind yourself as well. And we need to picture and imagine like where we need to go. That's yeah great like aim for the stars you know yeah yeah okay well Kira thank you so much and obviously if you want to learn more Kara I can't believe I did that (laughs) Kara thank you so much it's just I've been looking at your name written down for so long Kara thank you so much and if people want to hear more from Kara Kara has a podcast it's a lovely listen it's called Book of Leaves and as she said at the start it's just talking to people about what they're doing and what they're producing what they're doing with their businesses to make positive er, Mm -hmm. ecological change excuse me I've lost the ability to speak and um, is there anything we haven't said Cara that you just wish people would take away um I don't I don't think so like they're just have a, whatever your interest is if it's fashion or if you like going for walks on the beach like find the groups you know if you if you haven't got time but you have money donate to Irish Wildlife Trust mm. um or on Toshka like find a group that you can support in some way and if protesting is your thing or you're curious um keep an eye on Extinction Rebellion's um social media COVID took the wind out of their sails a good bit but mm. we do need people on the streets to put pressure on governments and mm. they have an art circle in Dublin every Wednesday and there's going to be a pizza party coming up in Trinity in the Pav. Pizza um, party? A, co- a pizza party coming up where people are going to listen and find learn about campaigns upcoming that we can get involved in so yeah do, like social media can be your friend and um, just I guess do do anything just do just start by one thing um, and yeah there's we will you will get there and make it enjoyable for yourself i love it thank you so much cara carney as i said the podcast is book of leaves you can go and listen to it now one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now time to chat celebs. A lot going on this week as always. We will cover Dave Fanning's apology over his comments about Christy Dignam, uh, Taylor Swift coming to Ireland and Adele's battle over a statue of Rocky uh, plus lots more. Cassie Delaney, what a joy it is to be in your place of work. I'm in the Tall Tales studio. Welcome. It's very chilled in here. It's messy, but look. It's so nice here. I think I would maybe just move in here if this was mine. You can. I'm so lonely here during the day. (laughs) Set up a little air mattress. I mean, I slept in worse over the weekend. Well, this is my floor time space. I do, I do lie down the odd time when I'm overwhelmed and have floor time. Good for you. Yeah, it's important. We all need floor time from time to time. How many times can we say time? (laughs) Um, Okay, we've got loads of showbiz stories to talk about this week, so let's get going. And we'll Mm. start with a bit of drama over Dave Fanning's comments about Christy Dignam. Um, We talked about obviously the death of Christy Dignam. Was it only last week, I think? Um, God, a lot has happened in that week. Um, And obviously, you know, we were talking about Chrissy's incredible life and what a positive impact he had on so many people. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Dave's comments about him on the radio were a little less favoursome. Little misplaced. So he was on the Claire Byrne show and he was giving his, I mean, he's he does a great tribute to Irish music and he is such a knowledgeable man. But mm. during that tribute, he made reference to um, to his, his struggles with substance abuse, uh, which really upset the audience. Um, he made a comment about how he had basically royally messed up his career because of substance abuse issues. So uh, Orty received loads and loads of complaints and resulted in Dave having to make a statement saying that he listened back to his bit on the radio about Christy Dignam and it was, he says, perhaps his comments weren't as bad as some of some of the complaints were making out to be but his comments weren't right it was bad he said I was just trying to highlight some deeper issues in Ireland during the 80s and totally missed the mark yeah I mean I think there's a lot to be said for you know him saying I kind of thought they wouldn't be as bad as people people think they are and then when he listened he was like no no they actually are that bad yeah you know I have a lot of time for Dave on a personal level like obviously I worked with Dave for a long time and actually there are lots of presenters who I never really spoke to but Dave and I would often have been going in and out of the studio at the same time um and Dave does not mince his words like that's who Dave is he doesn't hold back yeah um but and I think it's good that he acknowledged that at the 
the time that he was making these comments, it was not appropriate. It was not the moment to kind of make the points that he made. And the thing is, it was the tone and everything of the way that he was speaking. I think that was that was problematic, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in the immediate aftermath of someone's death. It's, yeah, you don't want to you know, tarnish someone's great. death with the mistakes that they've made during their life. No, but even like, I mean, when Aoife and I spoke about it last week, we acknowledged you know, Christie's addiction is a huge part of his life. Mm-hmm. It's a part of his story. And it's also a part of a lot of the good that he did in his life. You know, the fact that he acknowledged it, he spoke about it, honestly, like that's a very positive thing, mm-hmm. but it's just the way, the way Dave Exactly. About yeah. It. I mean, there is a wider discussion to be had there around entertainment industries and substance abuse and things like that, but this was not the time. No. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, I respect the apology and I respect the kind of apology that it was. Yeah. What yeah, do you think? For sure. Yeah. Like, I think he was very remorseful in what he said. And he, it takes a lot for someone to turn around and be like, you know, that was wrong, especially when it comes down to he's very well known for this kind of work. And, you know, he's very well respected. So to be able to come out and say, oh, I made a mistake there, I think was, you know, really, really important and good of him. And he was pretty prompt with the response. And even the Claire Byrne show then released their own response and their own apology for having the comments aired and things like that. So I think, yeah, I think they dealt with it pretty, pretty well. Yeah. And the thing is, Dave Fanning doesn't apologize easily. Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't get a fake apology from Dave Fanning. So if he apologized from what I know of him, he really meant it. Yeah. Um, The fact that he went back and listened himself, like I, I respect it. Obviously still unfortunate. And I'm sure it did cause hurt to the family, which Dave acknowledged himself but um but yeah maybe we can draw a line under it now now great news for swifties and it seems like everyone's a swiftie now well i remember talking to you on this very podcast when taylor released midnights and i was like yeah i'll jump in i'll have a listen i have become i don't know how i don't know when but such a swiftie like i had two phones for the pre-registered ticket sales the other day i was like well i have to go i have to oh i mean everyone has to to go go. yeah and so obviously taylor has announced that she will return to ireland next summer for two shows and as part of the era's tour which if you're on tiktok if you're on the internet you will have seen clips of it looks incredible it's being hailed as an absolutely remarkable show up there with Beyonce's at the moment like people are going wild yeah I went to when I went to Beyonce I went with my friend Sean who had been to Philadelphia to see Taylor in the Eras tour like three days previously yeah so he saw them both in one week and like he said Taylor's just as good I'd say he's still and he was sitting he said he was sitting in like you know arguably the worst seats in the place like he was at the very very back at the very top of the stadium and he said it was still unbelievable because the staging is so magnificent yeah like it's not I wouldn't I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere and she is a show woman like she knows what she's doing she loves her fans she's like her whole career has been bolstered by this incredible fandom so Mm. To put the effort into the show and to create such a spectacle, I think is is going to be amazing. So, I am I am a Swifty now, and <laughs> I like everyone in Ireland are going to be trying to get these tickets. Um, so there'll be about a hundred thousand tickets between the two nights because she's playing in the Aviva. But obviously, Dublin being Dublin, as soon as the dates were announced, hotel prices started hiking up their rates, like by kind of. 200 300 400 percent so like one hotel that was 359 euro a night has jumped to 900 which by the way is already obscene already insane insane prices and has jumped up to like nearly a thousand euro like just under a thousand euro a night which is just leaves such a sour taste in your mouth when you should be really excited about something Um, and of course uh, Environment Minister Eamon Ryan has described it as absolutely shocking and just saying it's not worth it and you think like 
Taylor's audience and Taylor's people are like young, like teens, early 20s, like females. And like to think of someone wanting to come up to Dublin to go to the gig, yeah. getting so, so excited. We already know that artists are having difficulty playing in Dublin because of insurance fees and yeah. because of other things. So for her to make the decision to come to Dublin is so exciting. Yeah. And then to see price gouging happening around it it's just so it's so disappointing yeah and as you say when you consider that there will be lots of parents who will be trying to scrape together the few quid for the tickets in the first place because they're not cheap no and like let's just talk about the ticketing process so as you said we've already had to register for the chance to buy tickets yeah so this is all an attempt and Taylor is obviously very passionate about this. It's an attempt to kind of get rid of touts and make sure that the mm-hmm. right people get the tickets, which I respect. Totally. Um, so you register to try and buy tickets and then you'll be given a code and a link to potentially buy tickets, but you're not guaranteed a ticket. No, and you're not even guaranteed getting through to the ticket yeah. buying process. So and like- there were massive queues, I gather. I actually weirdly had no problem. I think I must have been on really quickly. Oh, but no, then it there seems was like there was like a queue for registering as if you were trying to buy tickets crazy it was mad and then those people who registered are going into a lotto where you get your link then to be able to buy the tickets you'll get your link like a week before tickets go on sale like notoriously when the tickets went on sale for the u.s leg of this tour Ticketmaster completely crashed and could not deal with the um could not deal with the demand so it it looks like it's going to be the exact same here because obviously you'll have people trying to fly in from other parts of Europe you'll have loads of people coming from different parts of Ireland the UK everywhere um so yeah it's going to be they're going to be like gold dust trying to get these tickets I've already gotten messages from people going I'm just wondering do you have any any contact in terms of Taylor Swift tickets I'm like no I'm gonna be in the dogfight with everybody (laughs) it was very close to being like what lists can I get on if I publicly out myself now as a Swifty and make it part of my brand for the next how many months perhaps I'll be in there with some sort of little little deal but we're not going to get those we're no. not going to have the usual um you know the odd time you get the, the radio shows and stuff have loads of tickets to give away but I think they're just going to be they're just going to be so hard to get your hands yeah, on I think they should wild. serve the lesbians first and then everyone else just <laughs> it's pride that's how you feel about just everything but it's pride month okay <laughs> like come on well, the tickets are going on sale in July, though, aren't they? Yeah, but look, do I have that wrong? Look, we need retribution for the past, <laughs> Louise. We need something. I love it. Anyway, we will report back. Obviously, undoubtedly, there will be total chaos when those tickets oh, go on sale. 100%. But I, I will be there. I will. Tears. I will find a yeah, way. Come hell or high water, and I will, we be, there. will be there. We will be there. Um, okay, I love this story. I think it's my favorite story of the week. Adele has bought Sylvester Stallone's house. This is so funny. So Adele bought Sylvester Stallone's house a while ago and um, he's just recently done an interview where he was talking about, you know, the selling his family home because he lived there for like 30 years with his family. And um, he said that Adele obviously was the purchaser. But one of the really interesting (laughs) parts of the sale was that she insisted on keeping the bronze Rocky statue that he had decorated the house with. And when asked if he wanted to keep the statue, he said, yeah, he did. But revealed that Adele wanted the statue so badly that she told him it was a deal breaker and that if he didn't include the statue, she wouldn't purchase the house. I love it so much because it's not just like, ah, you'll throw the statue in. It's like, no, no, this deal will not go through if you don't leave me your Yeah, it's not a fridge. Like, it's not like, oh, it would be really, really helpful if we actually had a fridge when we moved into the house. It is a bronze Sylvester. I imagine 
lifestyle, life-sized version of Has Sylvester Stallone it's a, in the house. Overlooks the home's pool and shows the character in his signature fist-pumping pose. But I also like that, you know, he's like, yeah, um, you know, she's done loads of work to the house and I love what she's done. She's making it gorgeous. But like that she wanted to keep this bit the exact same yeah. is frankly iconic. Like I'm, I would be the same. I too would want to keep this. Oh, for sure. Like any little like, little quirky thing like that. Very quirky. But um, if you know, if you've seen Adele's Architectural Digest or her like 72 questions or 73 questions with Vogue, you'll know her style is very like, very kind of minimalist, calm. Mm. Like it is not the kind of environment where you would anticipate finding a life-size bronze statue of Rocky. But I just think there's going to be parties in that pool with a feather boa draped around that statue. And I would... A hundred percent. Like everybody who goes to Adele's house is going to be taking a selfie with that. Absolutely. And she's dead right to keep it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having that much money and being able to buy a $58 million home and insist that the Rocky statue stay? Insist that the the deal breaker is the statue. I mean, that is, yeah, absolutely incredible. I am deep in It's also huge. It's like one of the biggest houses in a gated community that is apparently jam-packed full of celebrities. It's on a 3.66 acre site. So... Like a little bit of privacy. I'm currently in like the run up to hopefully, oh, excuse me for hitting the microphone, hopefully um, buying a house, hopefully maybe, who knows, um, crisis mode, Dublin housing mess situation. And the idea of just being able to not only just buy a beautiful house, but then like make it what you want it to be. Oh, it just, just feels so far away for so, so many people. So far away. Yeah. So far away. Not for Adele. I, do you ever, you, you shouldn't because it's torture, but do you ever go on and look at American um, real estate listings? Oh, all the time. I love, I like this, the sadist in me, like I love going on and watching Architectural Digest and watching people who have But I no don't even mean, money. I don't even mean the rich ones. Like that's one thing, that's fantasy. I mean like looking at what you could get for what you have in like... No, not New York with, or LA, yeah. but like I go to the old town that I lived in. Oh, yeah. We live in a yeah, town yeah. called Batavia, Illinois, which is a lovely town um, in the suburbs of Chicago. And like I could have a mansion, like fully. Oh, a mansion. yeah, yeah, yeah. A mansion. Yeah. But sure, even do that looking at the rest of Ireland outside of Dublin. Do you know? Yeah. Yesterday I was on Daft and Clare, and I was like, this, I could have a view of the sea and a house on a cliff. Or I know I keep saying it, but a commune. I have been preaching this for years. Why are we not doing it? Is it time? It's time. I think it might be Shared time. resources. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, we're going to talk about gigs now because there has been a spate of like just genuinely appalling behavior at yeah. live gigs recently. BB Rexa and Ava Max, not two people who I've paid a huge amount of attention to in terms of their music. Although BB Rexa did write Bitch Better Have My Money, the Rihanna yeah, song. Yeah, and Ava Max is sweet but psycho. you know, Which I hate. Yeah. But if you're on TikTok, you'll be familiar with her music and yeah. like she's a lot of trending sounds. So she revealed um, this week that she had an injury after being slapped by a fan at a show in L.A. So she took to Twitter to share um, pictures of how she was slapped so hard mid song that she ended up with a scrape on her eye and scratching the inside of, of her eye. Basically, she's a black eye. Like the picture is it looks yeah. really bad. And so she basically said like that fan will never be allowed 
at a gig again but then um it like a lot of other artists were revealing that they also have had really problematic experiences yeah when performing bb rexa live. a man threw a phone at her yeah and hit her in the head and she got stitches and another black eye like it's wild yeah and azealia banks was in australia when a fan threw a bottle at her um steve lacy smashed a, f- a fan's camera out of frustration because he said people were just putting their phones in his face so often kalani was sexually assaulted by a fan in manchester yeah. earlier this year um, and then bb rexa as well so like there's been a lot of stories like this and there was a, a kind of great piece about the collective sort of rowdiness of crowds post pandemic um, and there's a couple of different things that one researcher dr lucy bennett who's a lecturer in cardiff university with an expertise in fan culture she's been pointing at a couple of different potential reasonings for the um this this rowdiness and you know disturbance um some of it could be just that people do not know how to behave after the pandemic and returning to crowds some of it could be that we have younger audience members coming into live music scenes for the first time but a lot of it seems to be this desire to be part like to be participating in live music that being you know um being part of a moment trying to capture things that will go viral and social Mm. and this like main character syndrome where everybody wants to get in on the action Mm. but it's creating a very scary and very like uneasy culture at at physical live gigs um which is really really disappointing to see and just in a little bit of research around this and how like obviously crowd control and instances have been you know par for the course of live music and festivals for years and years and years but when you look specifically at, at events like this and artists being attacked or artists feeling on uns- feeling unsafe um, and then looking at the fact that like say that astro world crowd crush mm. like that was only in 2021 like that's all part of the problem mm. it's just um it's very unnerving and it kind of it's definitely this sort of behavior that would put people off going to live music and threaten i suppose the the ability to run gigs like this or Mm. with the same level of of crowds so it's very yeah it's interesting like it's interesting i suppose if you liken it to it's not the same obviously but you look at say the signs at harry styles concerts it's just people wanting their moment and their kind of connection with him and their kind of moment in the spotlight and one way to get that i suppose is to assault the person who's performing. Yeah. Even though obviously it's completely unacceptable, but if if you're if what you want is attention and potentially your social media moment even if it's being a villain, then you're going to get it. Wild. And um, would recommend Swarm um on Amazon Prime yes. if you haven't seen it, which kind of is themed around this kind of intense fan culture. Um okay, and finally, I actually thought this was pretty cute. Courtney Kardashian yeah. and Travis Barker announced their pregnancy. Yeah, this was really cute. At first I was very confused because I was like, this is not the appropriate way to tell the father of your yes. child that you're pregnant. <laughs> but then realizing that this was just like, this was a public announcement yeah. of their pregnancy. She was not letting Travis know for the first time. No. So um, Kourtney Kardashian shared photos of her baby bump on Instagram on Sunday, announcing that she is pregnant with her first baby with Travis Barker. But she did this very, very cute homage to the Blink-182 All the Small Things video by holding up a sign in the crowd saying, Travis, I'm pregnant. Mm. Um, So obviously fans are overjoyed for the two. It was a very cute moment. He jumps down on stage. They have a little embrace. And then we got this carousel of images as well on Instagram showing off her 
um, her her baby bump, which is just great because we know the couple had been going through IVF mm. for the past you know couple of years, had decided to stop with that, and then um, being able to announce their pregnancy is amazing, uh, really really cute. I'm thrilled for them. The sign very similar to the original sign in the in yeah. the music video. Obviously, uh, the comment section of the music video now is so funny because it's like. Kardashian fans were like just here to see the sign just here to see it and then I did a quick little search and searches for all the small things video are just like through the roof yeah. so it's just bringing a whole new audience to Blake yeah. 182 in an unexpected way yeah I'm happy for them she's pretty pregnant like yeah yeah, yeah. I'd say she's at least I'd say she's 20 weeks at least, probably a bit more, um, which would make sense because it's yeah, I think it's around 23 weeks that pregnancies are kind of just viable um, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised after the kind of effort that they went through with IVF and everything to get pregnant if they waited until they were in the kind of yeah. relatively safe zone. And they've been pretty She's open 44, with he's 47. Yeah, they've been pretty open with, with their want and their desire to yeah. get pregnant and stuff like that. So I appreciate that they're like, they're not doing just like a hidden reveal of a baby a la no. um, Kylie. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I enjoyed that. Allow us in. Let us be part yeah, of it. Yeah, let us in. Let us in. I mean, they let us into the IVF, so let us into the pregnancy. They let us into the eating the weird things. For yes, that was so weird. Steaming the yoni and all that crack. Yeah. Not for me. Um, okay, well, thank you so much, Cassie Delaney. Uh, she is obviously Tall Tales Podcast. That's why we're here. You can hear her on the Creep Dive. Where else can people find you, Cass? Um, right now I'm going into stealth mode and just like not speaking Grant. to anyone. So yeah. I'm just, yeah, yeah, quietly. I respect that. Quietly yeah. offline. Yeah. Great. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> now time to head off. But before I go, in terms of recommendations, I don't have loads this week. Didn't do a lot of uh, consuming of culture at all aside from going to uh, Body and Soul and Beyond the Pill at which I saw lots of great things would always recommend a Saint Sister gig Bonnie Boo if you don't know her if you're not familiar with her work can't recommend her enough uh, it's B-O-U-X she is a kind of She's a dancer uh, and what she does is I guess burlesque. It's kind of subversive and funny and really smart and I got to see her perform for the second time over the weekend. If you ever see her on a lineup anywhere, I can't recommend that enough. Um, Recommend... I don't know, weekends away with your pals. Most of the people I saw over the weekend were people who I'd seen before. Hadn't seen The Blaze before. Actually really enjoyed that if you're into electronic music. But yeah, just having a bit of time with your pals messing without any kind of time constraints or you know major time constraints if you haven't done it in a while highly highly recommend other than that i've just started mark o'connell's a thread of violence a story of truth invention and murder which just came out mark o'connell is an extremely talented writer he has won multiple highfalutin awards and um, i know him because i used to work with him years ago and um when i asked him if he'd come on he said yeah any excuse to get the gang back together he is a lovely funny um charming man and this new book i think is going to be right up a lot of people's alley so i'm going to read you the synopsis so that you can get on board before next week if you want to in 1982 it's nonfiction. in 1982 malcolm MacArthur, the wealthy heir to a small estate found himself suddenly without money the solution he decided was to rob a bank to do this he would need a gun and a car in the process of procuring them he killed two people and the circumstances of his eventual arrest in the apartment of Ireland's Attorney General nearly brought down the government. The case remains one of the most shocking in Ireland's history. Mark O'Connell has long been haunted by the story of this brutal double murder, but in recent years, the haunting has become 
mutual. When O'Connell sets out to unravel the mysteries still surrounding these horrific and inexplicable crimes, he tracks down MacArthur himself, now an elderly man living out his days in Dublin and reluctant to talk. As the two men circle one another, O'Connell is pushed into a confrontation with his own narrative. What does it mean to write about a murderer? Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. If you want to grab it, it's for sale now. It's available now. You can get it and get reading and um, then you'll really enjoy the chat with Mark next week. But I think in this time of like true crime and true crime writing, it's going to be really interesting to discuss the writing itself, the the telling of these stories and, um, and the story itself, which I have to say is one I'm not super familiar with, even though I know it is an absolutely enormous one in terms of Ireland's history. So there you go. A Thread of Violence, Mark O'Connell. Um, that's my recommendation for this week. I hope, my friends, that you have a lovely week, but it cannot always be lovely. And we know this for fact. Um, so if you can't have a lovely week, just keep going one foot in front of the other. We're going to get there and I will be back with you next Friday. In the meantime, thank you to Acast and all of my brilliant contributors. And I will talk to you then. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.